The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I imagine this was a lot of people's wedding songs once upon a time. Yeah. Who doesn't love whisper singing? Uh, Yeah. And a Is Savage Garden cola. the most inappropriately named band of all time? <laughs> like Savage Garden sounds like a metal band. Like Savage Garden sounds like they should thrash. Yeah, and they do. I'll be your wish. I'm... It's it's incredible stuff. Well, I I love you, Chris. I love you, Scott. Welcome everybody you. to the show. I love all the listeners. It's February fourteenth, so we're taking a break from the uh, position previews to talk about Mike Clevenger's knee. Mike Trout steals and love some, no and uh, who we love players we love. Last year, I believe the player I love was you, Darvish. I will give myself partial credit for that one. Mm. Good, bad than that, bad than great. Uh, I'm pretty well, sure it was. Yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, it, it, it mu- eventually came through. It was one of those Thank like you, yeah. extended love stories, like the Notebook. You know, yeah, like, you might have gotten divorced before <laughs> it actually paid off, right? Uh, maybe I actually in the one league or no in the I did not divorce no I stayed with him I till death did us part yeah all right airman do you remember who yours was your guy was Scott I I um I don't I don't remember who it was no I don't remember Chris I don't. I don't know if I was even on that episode. Yeah. I don't. I don't get involved. Invited to the fun things usually. Yeah. Well, oh, it sure, I'm, I'm gonna say Josh. I'm gonna say Josh Bell. Who do you love? <laughs> okay, sure. Why know. not? Good. Good call, Chris. Um. All right. So this year, player we love. We'll start with that. Then we got big news: Mike Clevenger having knee surgery, and Mike Trout could bat leadoff. Saw that little blurb. Uh, things that are interesting, and then your emails. Also, the rule changes and how that might affect fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball at cbsi.com is the email address. Short, sh- short-ish show today, so let's get right to it. Scott, who do you love this year? I love J.D. Davis. I don't love him enough to know what the J and D stand for, which is what I wanted to say when I announced who I love. But I do love J.D. Davis, who I think is... The surest bet among the breakout bats because, I mean, just look at what he did last year. In part-time duty, um, he did get a chance to play every day in August, I believe it was, and put up monstrous numbers. Then he put up monstrous numbers in basically every scenario. Righties, lefties, it didn't matter. Uh, He hit over 300. He had an OPS of uh, 895. And he actually underperformed his XBA and his XWOBA on the year. Like, he makes really hard contact. He has good line drive tendencies. He hits the ball to all field. He profiles for a high BABIP. He's, 
I, I think he can do this all again, just hopefully in a more full-time role. Now, the Mets, at the start of spring training, you know, there was kind of a, a big, uh, this burst of news all of a sudden because reporters had players they could talk to again. And it sounds like there's kind of a competition going on in left field between J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith. <laughs> but, I mean, come Tom on. Tom Smith's not good. Well, why, why didn't they play him more? Because he was, I was so annoyed not as Frazier. a... As a JD, I guess as a JD Davis owner, it's like, dude, get him in there. He was he was one of their best hitters, and they didn't I mean, stick it, with him. It took them like a month and a half of Jeff McNeil being basically their best player to play him every day, right? Yeah. Well, they have now their He's, second I mean, that's, their second Dave, manager defender since their last. Who is Davis? Okay. Uh, so that, but like Dominic Smith in left field, that's not that's not going to go any better. Okay. Uh, so, and and of course, JD Davis can play a third base. To um, you know, Jeff McNeil can move around. If like Robinson Cano gets hurt, I I just think like the bat is so good, it, it's going to work out for him. And I am I am thrilled to draft him as a starter. Whether it's it's more likely going to be for the outfield because there's just so many third basemen out there. But like as my third outfielder, that is money, and uh, JD Davis is money. Like round. 13 through 15. It's perfect. It's going to go very well. I think you mean Jonathan Gregory Davis. What? The D come. Oh, I guess the D is for Davis. Like JD is his first and last initial. So yeah. he's J- John Davis Davis? Jonathan Gregory <laughs> JD Davis, according to Wikipedia. All right. That's one down. Chris, who do you love? I love a pitcher who may not even have a rotation spot coming into the season, but who I think will be a top 15 starting pitcher in the 2020 fantasy baseball season. And his name is Zachary Davis gallon. (laughs) I love Zach gallon. I he's got at least two pitches that whenever someone posts a GIF or a video of him throwing them, I have to immediately retweet them. His curveball is nasty. And his changeup is, I guess, nasty. I'll just use that word twice. It, it's apt. Uh, he's got four pitches that he throws at least 15% of the time. He has faith in throwing all of them for strikes. What he did in AAA last year, uh, that's kind of where you need to start it off because it was the most impressive per- pitching performance by anyone in organized, independent, collegiate baseball. He had a 177 ERA in the PCL in a league where the average ERA was 548. He yeah. was so absurdly dominant. And the biggest thing holding him back at the majors, and holding him back is a relative term because he had a 281 ERA and a low threes FIP, was a, a mid threes FIP. Uh, he walked 4.1 batters per nine. That was never an issue for him in the minors. Uh, a lot of it, I think he had two starts with nine walks that really inflated things, and then after that it really wasn't quite as bad. I just think he is uh he's got absolute star potential as a starting pitcher. He he pitches from sort of a weird arm angle which gives his his pitches a lot of spin. He's just he's really 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 good. And Wait, I wish the Marlins still had him. That stat you dropped of what he did in the PCL versus what pitchers in the hole in the PCL did, which was always a hitter's league, but then of course the MLB baseballs were introduced to it last year. That's my favorite stat of all the stats that were 
uh, contributed by any player last year. And like it, when it was happening in real time, we were like, okay, could this Zach Gallen guy really be this good? And then he gets to the majors and uh, I mean, pretty much is a great pitcher from the get go. So like the fantasy playing world is going to lose its mind if he doesn't win a rotation spot for the Diamondbacks. Uh, but one of him, Merrill Kelly, and I guess Mike Leake won't. Who's injured. No, Mike Leake is is in. Well, he's injured. But he is right dealing. Now. He had. He's having, I think, a minor surgery to repair a fracture in his wrist. But he's only expected to miss a couple of weeks of spring training. But uh, the most recent report I saw is he's. It's Bumgarner, Ray, Leake, and Weaver are locked in. So it's Merrill Kelly, Alex Young, and Zach Allen. And I don't know. Maybe Merrill Kelly gets the edge because Zach Allen has options. But but Mike Leake is the worst of those pitchers. Probably. Yeah. Okay. So on our website, cbsports.com, and our player page for Zach Gallon, there's a report. Steve Gilbert of MLB.com saying Gallon is likely to begin the season in the Diamondbacks rotation. So let's let's go Zach Gallon. He's going 124th overall. He is a round 10 or round 11 pick. Eduardo Rodriguez and Hyunjin Ryu are the next two pitchers off the board. Uh, do you like Gallon better than those guys, Rodriguez and oh, Ryu? Yeah. Um. It's it. The only thing that's tough is Ryu, just because he's probably just going to be undervalued for the rest of his career. And I think we're probably overcorrecting because it's easy to look at him and say, oh, well, there's regression coming. But like Hyunjin Ryu's going, what, 20 spots after 40 spots after Mike Soroka? That that's kind of dumb. <laughs> 40, 34. So we started the show with me about to do the show and then going, oh, bleep. I forgot we're supposed to do players we love today. So I don't really know if I have someone, but I have two options. Should I go with the fifth round pitcher or the mid to late round shortstop? Mid fifth round. round pitcher has a much more likely chance of making you look smart. Okay, it's a mid round shortstop. All right, I'm going with Chris Paddock. I love Chris Paddock. Welcome to the fantasy elite, Chris Paddock. That's what we'll be saying midway through the season. Uh, he is awesome. He is some, somewhat of a two-pitch pitcher, but his curveball, I think, has the chance to be great. His changeup's already great. He has he is a badass on the mound. He takes no prisoners. And I think uh, Chris Paddock could be a second-round pick next year and could be one of the uh, up-and-coming great starting pitchers in baseball. Christopher Paddock, I love you. All right. Yeah, I like him. Apparently, uh, the restraints are off, too. Hey, fully. After he was, he made 140 innings. He reached 140 innings last year. Yeah. After 90 previously in the minors, so that's, uh, that's and, and obviously I think, a big deal. And I think, like, even if the curveball isn't great, the fastball and changeup are so good, and the command of both are so good that I, I think he's got a ton of potential either way. So. Our players we love, Scott says J.D. Davis, Chris says Zach Allen, and I say Chris Paddock. The big news, Mike Clevenger is having knee surgery. Probably be able to better address this next week. We don't have a timetable right now. This was late breaking news just before we got on the show. But uh, thankfully, it's February 14th. There's time to recover. Meniscus. I don't think it's going to be like a long-term thing, right, guys, with Clevenger? It, there are two types of meniscus surgeries. There's the repair and there's the removal. And removal's a very quick turnaround, actually, even though it sounds more severe. Um, I guess maybe there are worse consequences for it later on. I don't know. I'm yeah, not a doctor. That's, but 
it, it tends to cause more like tendonitis issues later on. That's yeah. That was what like Dwayne Dwayne Wade in the NBA did. Okay. It caused him issues later. So we don't know. The timetable is totally to be determined. I think either way, uh, you can't expect him to be ready for opening day. And if he has the repair, I mean, it could be like mid May before he's ready. Probably. It, yeah. It's probably like a, if he has it repaired, it's probably like a six to eight week timetable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's still like a month long buildup for a yeah. pitcher. So, yeah, it's 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 we can't be losing these guys before the season even starts because we're obviously pitchers are going to get hurt. Uh, but you, if this if the draft, if the pool of draftable pitchers uh shrinks i mean the the panic for pitching is going to become even more intense than it already is clevenger had the lowest fip in the american league last year 2.49 he had a 271 era he only threw 126 innings but 12 and 12.1 strikeouts per nine 1.06 whip i mean he was right up there with the best of the best so uh get well soon mike clevenger Mike Trout could bat leadoff. He doesn't really have an extensive history batting leadoff. It's just something Joe Madden said that he could bat leadoff. Not that he will, so I don't want to get too far into it. But the last time he batted leadoff, really, was early in his career. It was 2012. He stole 49 bases. Uh, Woo! So that could be nice. He only stole 11 bases last year. Value up, down, or the same if Mike Trout is a leadoff hitter? Up. Always up. He's going to get more play appearances. Yeah, but he'll get, he'll have fewer RBIs. And but he'll score more runs. I don't know if he'll score more runs than he does batting second. He'd have another better hitter behind him. Okay. It's always up. Like it, it's more volume. It's it's more opportunities. Like yeah, RBI might be down, but he's so good that he's probably still going to drive in ninety runs batting leadoff anyway. Yeah. Well, that's not. I guess so. How many runs does he usually drive in? Like 115? It was 104 last year. That's the second high, highest of his career. Um, he, missed, he missed quite a bit of time. Yeah. Okay. 104 was the second highest yeah, that's of Mike Trout's career? Well, he's batted in the he's top two, two of the lineup for most of his career. Right. He's never been that. a big RBI guy. Right. And two hitters had are pretty, not. Two hitters and they've are had not pretty crappy RBI. lineups. Yeah. Um so if two hitters aren't big RBI guys, then I wonder about leadoff hitters and who, who I I would love to know which leadoff hitter led uh, all leadoff hitters in RBIs last year. Somebody and find out. Per 162 games last season, he or over the last three seasons per 162 games, he's at 107 RBI. So I, yeah, I think 90 to 95. He's such a good hitter. He's going to hit 40 plus home runs anyway. He's going to get to 90 to 95 RBI. What this could do is give us. 135, 140 run season. That's that seems realistic. He scored 110 in 134 games last year, so he could have a big year with runs. Okay, Eugenio Suarez could be ready for opening day. He had shoulder surgery in January. Suarez uh, was the number. Oh man, he was a top 10 third baseman for sure. He was number yeah, seven he, last year in 2018. He was number seven. I don't know what he was yeah. this year. Yeah, past year, and I moved him to the back of his tier with the when the the, the initial reports that he was having the shoulder surgery, um, definitely open to moving him back up as things develop further over the course of spring training. But this is obviously a favorable first follow up. 
Yeah, he was number nine in points, number six in Roto. He strikes out a lot. He had by far the most strikeouts among third-base eligible players, but he also hit 49 home runs, so that'll help. More news and notes. Let's see what we got here. We got Alex Verdugo may not be ready for opening day. He has a back issue, something he dealt with last year. The Red Sox, meanwhile, signed Kevin Pillar to a one-year deal. So is Alex Verdugo, are you even going to draft him, Chris? Yes, he's got significant potential, but it's a really bad sign that he has not been able to play baseball since August of last year. That's a really, really bad sign for someone who's not established as a contributor at the major league level. I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I thought if he was healthy, and especially if the Red Sox announced him as their leadoff hitter, I wouldn't have been surprised if he started going inside the top 100 by the end of draft season. Now, I think later half of later part of the top 200 makes sense i would still take that chance for especially in a roto okay and uh seattle signed taiwan walker scott one year two million dollar deal any interest not significant interest there i i do believe there's still upside there uh but it's been it's been a long time since he's been able to show anything and the last we saw of him um you know it, it optimism had already begun to wane. And the fact that this is the best offer he could get, I I don't think is a good sign either. But it is a good place for him to restore his value. Pitchers Park, team without a lot of uh, pitching assets, so he should have a role. A flyer, but in very deep leagues. He was pretty good in 2017. It was the last time he really pitched. All right, maybe a sleeper out there. Taiwan Walker for the Mariners. Meanwhile, Mitch Hanniger... Not sure you're going to be drafting him. He had another core surgery. That's going to delay his return. I don't know. Late, late round pick. Obviously, you can stash him on the IL, but it's it's going to be a while for Hanniger, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. This is this seems like one of those situations where it wouldn't surprise me if he just sat out the whole first half, and at that point, who knows what to expect from him. Uh Probably shouldn't be drafted even in like 12-team, five outfielder leagues. All right, it's Mitch Hanniger. Cole Hamels will not be ready for opening day due to a shoulder injury. Hamels actually was pitching pretty well last year before he went on the IL, and then mm-hmm. he came back and was really bad, and I'll give you all the numbers. But um, where would you draft Cole Hamels? He had a 381 ERA, but his first 17 starts before he missed all of July – he was 6-3 and three with a 298 ERA and a right around a strikeout per inning and a 120 whip. Always a high whip for Hamels. When are you drafting Cole Hamels? Do we know when he'll be ready to come back? It they sounds like it's yeah. It sounds like it's not going to be a super long absence. Right. Just uh, a situation where he'll, he'll be healthy before opening day, but then he'll have to still build up. So I, I'm not dropping him that much. I mean, he's already outside of the group of pitchers that I consider desirable and he's at the high end of that next group because he was good before the injury last year and it seems like it messed him up mechanically from things I've read so I think there's a good chance uh he ends up you know from the time he returns being a good innings eater who averages about a strikeout per inning and can win a bunch of games for a good Braves with a good Braves offense backing him not a bad like if you miss out on really building a strong pitching staff, not a bad fallback option still. Would you rather have Cole Hamels or Dallas Keuchel? 
Keuchel I have ahead of him. They're kind of in that same group where I think they're I think they're decent enough pitchers, but they're just they're uh they're not going to stand out. And there are a few pitchers you could say that about because usually the ones who aren't standouts just get crushed in this environment. But I think there there are two exceptions there: Hamels and Keuchel. Would you rather have Cole Hamels or the enticing mystery box of Julio Arias? Arias. Chris? Arias? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here are some things that are interesting. Uh, American history? No. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion was third in fantasy points per game among first basemen behind Cody Bellinger and Freddie Freeman. He was tied with DJ LeMahieu. I think that's interesting. Edwin Encarnacion, third best on a per-game basis in a points league. What do you think, Chris Towers? He's still pretty good when he plays. And there, I mean, I don't even know what his ADP is. I haven't looked at that, but I would imagine it's very, very low. And, well, why don't you take a guess? Uh, yeah, what do you 166. Think? There's, there's a lot of potential there. A lot of potential value. He is the sort of player that fares much better in, in points league, which is the number you gave Adam mm-hmm. versus a roto league, which is the AD, what the ADP number reflects though. I'm sure he's not getting a lot of attention in points league drafts either, just because you don't have to go as deep into the hitter pool. And he's a 37 year old who's on his fourth team in three years. Um, I do think he's at a stage where you do, you, you wonder if he's really going to be an everyday player, especially since, they have James McCann there, who they've talked about playing some at DH uh, after bumping him from his starting role for Yasmani Grandal. So sure. he's like, I, I, I'd i be happy with Edwin Encarnacion as like a corner infield option, but I'd be disappointed if he was my primary first baseman. I did kind of want him as my first baseman in an AL only league uh, that we did yeah, last that, well, night. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And you got him last night. I right? did get him? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's got eight straight seasons with 32 or more home runs. And last year, he hit 34 homers in 109 games. And he was really good with Seattle. It wasn't just like Yankee Stadium. And now he's with the White Sox. Um, he his Good plate, hitters park should be a decent lineup. Yeah, yeah. His plate discipline isn't what it used to be. And the batting average stinks. But he still walks and he still homers. And Edward Encarnacion. But he's kind of like Nelson Cruz, starting to get banged up. Missed some time each of the last two seasons. All right, more things that are interesting. Uh, Lance Lynn and Mike Miner are interesting. It's funny because the Rangers have two guys who were top 24 pitchers last year. Uh, but they're very interesting, Scott, where they go, and and particularly Lynn. I mean, he was a lot better than Miner last year. So they're interesting. Yeah, Lance Lynn, I more or less consider among that ace or near ace tier where I think they'll give you a ton of innings and a ton of strikeouts. This is basically what he did last year. And uh, he was one of many pitchers who his, his ERA, you know, it looks kind of middling, but it was, it, it was inflated by a terrible April. A lot of really good pitchers were just awful last April. Um, Which makes sense. Yeah, different baseball. Especially with the, the seams changing on the baseball. Yeah, there were some actual complaints voiced there. Uh, I mostly buy the changes to his profile, Lance Lynn. Um, he uh, altered his pitch selection a little. and He doesn't have a pitch he, selection. He throws 90% fastballs. I mean, like three different types right. of fastballs. But that's right. what's so amazing about it. I mean, 
it's it's kind of hard to to doubt. It's the I look. This is what I find amazing about Lance Lynn. His last month, September, he faced the Yankees twice, the Astros, the A's, and the Rays, and he crushed them. He was awesome. He had like a th- low three ZRA and a ton of strikeouts in those starts. 313 ERA, 44 strikeouts, and 31 and two-thirds. It had been what he had done all year after his first seven starts. Um, it, you know, he's throwing hard and throwing basically exclusively fastball, so that's why I have trouble believing it, but I don't know. I well, mean, he's, he he's always been that pitcher. What he, he not with the strikeout. Kind of got away right, from the... One of the fastballs he threw was a sinker, and he was more of a ground ball pitcher for most of his career because of that, and a guy who's... Uh, you know, ended up outperforming his strikeout rate, but he just kind of like totally ditched that approach. And it was mostly just fastball cutter. And I think they look close enough to the same coming out of the hand that uh, it, they, it racks up a lot of swings and misses for him. And he's so he's kind of ditched the pitch to contact mentality as a lot of pitchers have have and, and have seen their numbers skyrocket as a result. I get it. I mean, like in that ace near ace giant tier of 40 or so pitchers. He's obviously near the bottom. He doesn't have the track record of most of them. We're talking about like a mid thirties breakout, but there are just so few pitchers who are capable of doing anything close to what Lance Lynn did last year that when the time comes to take him, if you don't have enough pitchers that you're comfortable with, you kind of just have to take the chance on him. I I will say this. I have, I'll just cop to it. I have a mental block on Lance Lynn. I just, He's such an un, a non-traditional pitcher, especially for this environment in this era, that I just I don't understand how he got so good last year. People have explained it to me, and I still just like, okay, I believe you, but not really. <laughs> and that's totally me. I am not saying you should not draft Lance Lynn. The numbers are what they are. Having said that, he's much more, I would say much, much more likely to provide a positive return on investment than at least the next three guys being drafted ahead of him in fantasy pros average ADP in that starting pitcher, which is Max Freed, Denelson Lament, and Shohei Otani. Those guys might have more upside, although Lance mm. Lynn's upside, as we've seen, is pretty dang high. Why did uh, I do Max Freed as the player I love? I love Max Freed. I love I, Max Freed too. I'm trying to get a Max Freed jersey. That's the next jersey I want, and oh. I can't find one. They they They've even taken away the personalized jersey option. Really? For, uh, yeah. For at least for now, I don't know if as we get closer to the season it'll be back, but I've tried to order a Max Fried jersey and I can't get one. I want one majestic. They've they've kept them locked up, but I think the closer we get to the season they'll be freed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. Okay, so how about Mike Miner? Uh, first 3 months he was great, last 3 months he had a 5 ERA. So Mike Miner's numbers aren't as well supported as Lance Lenz. Um, by all the ways we would judge a pitcher to see whether he deserved what he did, Mike Miner falls short. And so I'm, I'm reluctant to, uh, to give him my full endorsement. Now, it's kind of the same thing I was saying for Lynn goes for him, though. At the rain, in the range where he actually goes, what's the comparable upside of the pitcher surrounding him? And it's like, well, they're not going to give you what we just saw Mike Miner do, so why not just take the chance on Mike Miner doing it again? I think that's probably a higher uh, a higher probability investment, but he could just be total garbage this year as a pitcher, not as a person. 
<laughs> and uh, and you got to be prepared for that possibility if you invest in him. I, I know some people get really when you when you call a player <laughs> garbage, some people get really offended. So I just wanted to make that stipulation after the word already came out of my mouth. Uh, okay, so how about we rank these pitchers: Matthew Boyd, Mike Miner, Armand Marquez. They're going in the same range, about 100, <gasps> 160th, 170th overall. Matt Boyd, Mike Miner, Armand Marquez. I can see the case for all three of them. I can probably see the case for minor least, at least in terms of upside. Like Matthew Boyd was an elite, elite, elite strikeout pitcher last year who, despite pitching in Tiger or Comerica Park, uh, Tiger Stadium, it's been a little while since they've had that one, um, got absolutely crushed, gave up a ton of home runs, and it doesn't seem like it was bad luck. He uh, pitches up in the zone a lot. He he tends to get hit hard. So I have trouble buying that he's going to be very good, but I can at least see it. Armand Marquez, kind of the same thing. At least I feel pretty confident. Actually, no. I feel very, very confident that I can trust Armand Marquez on the road. Yes. I'm not sure I'll be able to trust Mike Miner. So the problem with Boyd is I could see things going very right for him. I could see things going very wrong for him. He is so vulnerable to the long ball a terrible environment for that to be the case and he just got destroyed in the second half or really over the final four months because of it but um but still there's some dominant tendencies with the swing and miss rate and the strike and everything but what really breaks the tie for me whether i want matt boyd or not is he pitches for the tigers and no matter how well he pitches he's going to struggle to get 10 wins because of that and wins are the most valuable stat a pitcher can provide in either the standard points league or the standard roto league so that's uh that's definitely that, that said, I think he's just a better pitcher than the other two. And so I put him at the top of that, those rankings, oh, really? but it's, uh, it's close. It's kind of interesting with Marquez. You have to have to weigh the impact it would have on your team. If you said, I'm only going to start him in road games and I might get a great pitcher when I only start him in road games. It's not that it's, it, he's the only pitcher in baseball that you're going to take that approach with. Yeah. I just, I just wonder how. A lot of times what happened, because there have been a lot of pitchers in Rockies history that have started out that way. Mike Hampton, the great example. And and what happens is they want to be the same pitcher at home. And so they end up, it, it, it becomes a, a diff, they're, they're, it becomes difficult to stick to the same approach when you're not getting the desired results. And you can end up messing up the whole, the whole thing, trying to force something that's not going to happen in that terrible pitching environment. So, uh, I don't know. I guess I would sum it up by saying I if I am in a position in a draft where I'm having to count on Boyd Minor or Marquez to be a stable option for me, things have not gone well. I, it has not gone according to plan, my draft strategy, and uh, I am just looking for a lifeline at starting pitcher. I just looked up Matt Boyd's results with his curveball, and it's amazing. You don't sound he very threw, good right now. He threw 123. Well, this is why. Your f- hands are on your face. and it's... He threw 123 curveballs last year. He gave up a 500 batting average and an 1143 slugging percentage. Oh, that's not good. A <laughs> slugging percentage. Stop wow. throwing that pitch, huh? Okay. I mean, Miner's phenomenal. He kind of... It's kinda a really took... small sample size. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Right, let's yeah, let's move on because we are running yeah. out of time, unfortunately. Uh, we we have, a, we have a thing we have to get to. Anyway, rule changes. Let's talk about the rule changes. Okay, 15-day IL for pitchers now. 
and for two-way players like Shohei Otani. And 15-day option period for pitchers. Yeah, so you can't just stash someone for 10 days and bring them back. A pitcher, anyway. Hitters can still go on the 10-day IL. Three batter minimum. We know that. We have a question later about saves plus holds and the impact of the three batter minimum for relievers. It's not you, you can face fewer than three batters if you finish a half inning. Otherwise, you have to stay in for three batters. 26-man rosters, not 25 anymore. Uh, there's uh, some specifications about what makes somebody a two-way player, a pitcher slash hitter, and that doesn't... It's just Shohei Otani. The, you have it's like you have to throw twenty innings, and and have appeared in twenty games and had at least three plate yeah. appearances in them or something like right, that. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's right now, it's just Otani. there's no way it's anyone but him. And manager has twenty seconds to challenge a call. So I don't know that there's much to talk about here. It comes up in our emails, and we'll get to them right now. Oh, what? There is one more thing to add. Oh, and it actually could matter a lot for fantasy is the September roster rules. There are no more 40-man rosters in September. I believe the, the limit is 28. And you can only have... You can't have more than 13 pitchers during the regular roster period, and you can't have more than 14 in September. And I think the number goes up one on uh, doubleheaders. Well, if you ask me, you should probably stop playing fantasy baseball by September, but... Hey. But this could make it a little more predictable and a little less nutty. That'd be nice. Maybe maybe I'll be more inclined to play my playoff leagues in September. All right, yeah. so here are the emails. I don't, I don't, I don't like your garbage opinion anyway. I, yeah, I know. You like two catcher leagues, and you like playing your your championship games with week with the final two weeks of the season when people are sitting and crappy players are playing. So yes, I don't want the fantasy baseball to end. I want more of it. I'm ready for it to end at that point. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm ready for football to end. Like I'm, it's it's fine. We had a nice run. Let's just end it. Okay, emails from Jason Wood, who is a Football Guys senior writer and a maddeningly novice fantasy baseball nerd. Well, he says, Dear Tim, Jason, and Damien, and those are Robins, like Batman and Robins, I saw a post on Twitter recently that explained how Mike Matheny's players in St. Louis ran just 3.7% of the time versus Ned Yost running at a healthy 5.8% clip. With Matheny taking over in Kansas City, it seems like there's a huge risk to players like Whit Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi with a lot of value tied up in their ability to steal bags. You rarely, if ever, talk about managerial tendencies and how they will impact fantasy output, but with speed being at an ultra-premium, this kind of manager change could be the difference between making a huge mistake on draft day or avoiding a pitfall. What are your thoughts about the Royals' base stealing? And are there any other managerial things we should be looking at? So I'm... I'm... I'm not a big managerial tendencies guy because I feel like so few managers get the kind of sample needed to really know because it's so tied to personnel, right? Like, I, yeah, I'm struggling Gabe, with thinking Gabe Kapler, what player Scott. in Ga- the Matheny years the Cardinals had that should have been stealing a lot of bases. But, but Gabe Kapler was an example of someone that you said they're not going to run that much with him with the Phillies and they, mm-hmm. and they didn't like Gene Segura didn't run. He, you know, right. well, he was very open about Gabe Kepler yeah. was very open about what he believed and, um, was maybe the least traditional manager ever, at least in modern times in a modern sense. So, uh, that was kind of a special case, but, I agree with you. Like, you don't take over the Royals and tell Alberto Mondesi to not run. I wouldn't think so. Now, I, I, 
It, he could. Maybe if that's he, how it'll go. But, but I, I, we have no way of knowing, and it's just, it's just a. I don't think it would be so extreme that Adalberto Mondesi is suddenly not a good base dealer. You know, he would still be one of the best. It's it's just like that. Specifically with stolen bases, like there's there are so many, <laughs> there's so much fluctuation, so many different variables that could cause great swings in production there. That this this is just not one I'm even prepared to to consider. To be honest. Tommy, I'm looking at all of the stolen base leaders in uh, Mike Matheny's years with the Cardinals. Tommy Pham had 25 once. Jason Hayward had 23. It, it's not looking good, though. So far, I've only found two players with more than 15. Colton Wong had 20 in 2014. But they didn't have an outer back to Mondesi. It maybe, maybe you discount Whit Merrifield a little bit, although he only had 20 steals last year anyway, and ran at like a 67% clip. So it's possible that that might just be not as much a part of his game, no matter who the manager is only three or four players. I think four had more than 15 steals in like six or seven seasons under Mike Matheny. And there's one last thing I want to check here, but that was what, that was one of the Hayward's best steal seasons. I got to say 2023, 20, right? He may have had one year, but that was better than that. Uh, Carlos Beltran had 13 for the Cardinals in 2012, the year before that, he had four. The year before that, he had three. Was so, Mike Matheny there that long? That was his first year. That's okay. what I'm seeing on Wikipedia, 2012-2018. His one year in St. Louis under Mike Matheny, Jason Hayward set a career high for steals. Okay. All right, Jason, thank you for the thoughtful email. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm gonna, we're going to say... We're going we're gonna to say no on, on Mondesi anyway. Okay, Matt from Canada. Which starting pitchers do you think have the greatest potential to far outperform where you currently have them ranked and could make you look foolish by season's end? <laughs> All of them? <laughs> Tin step? Who do you There's think no you're... thing as a pitching prospect. <laughs> Every pitcher is capable of great things. Scott, who are you worried that you're too low on? Um, well, if we're just... There are there are a lot of pitchers like any any top prospect who really hasn't established himself yet could could just blow up. I mean, my, Mitch Keller he's actually on my sleeper list. He had a seven ERA, uh, the the bit he pitched in the majors last year. But I like a lot of what I saw in him. I think the new slider he developed last year raises his strikeout ceiling considerably and. He's long been considered one of the best pitching prospects in the game. So I may have him too low. I could he could have this huge breakout season where he is this pitcher that everybody's just able to bank on week after week. Um I think that Brendan McKay Brendan McKay, yeah, yeah. I was about to 74th say fourth for you. One of my favorite sleepers. Yeah. I'll give you seven from ADP who all have shown the potential to vastly outperform where they're being drafted, and it's seven guys in a row from the number 18 starting pitcher to the number 24 starting pitcher. Charlie Morton, 18th overall. Zach Greinke, Luis Severino, Noah Syndergaard, Tyler Glasnow, Yu Darvish, Trevor Bauer. All, every single one of those guys could be a top five starting pitcher next year. We could have seven top five starting pitchers next year. <laughs> that group of 40 I keep talking about, I think all of them have top 10 potential, it just depending on who gets hurt and who... Doesn't regress, and the only one I, I'm doesn't. not even really looking in that group because I feel like that group is 
going to form are it, it, they're all going to be pitchers people pursue heavily. Um, the only one who doesn't is Mike Soroka. He's being drafted exactly where he should be. <laughs> Next email is from Jolan. Listen to your relief pitcher preview. I wanted to add one thing for saves plus holds leagues. With the new rules in place for facing a minimum of three batters, holds will be much less, much more scarce. And no, much less scarce. What? Why would, would they scarcer. be less scarce? What would the okay? I think fewer pitchers will get holds, but the guys who do get holds would get more. I think that's what he meant. All right. Well, instead of trying to interpret what he meant, what do you think the impact of the three batter minimum will be on holds? And I I took a look at the top twelve relievers and holds last year. All of them made fifty five or more appearances. Ten of them made sixty six or more appearances. So that's ten out of twelve with sixty six or more appearances. And only two of them faced one batter in more than six appearances. Now, I didn't look at the times they faced two batters because maybe they were ending an inning. Um, it's it's kind of it's pretty hard to go back and look at like who was just a a loogie, basically. But there aren't that many of them anymore. So I don't know. I, I think it'll have minimum minimal impact personally. But what do you guys think? I think this is one of those conversations where my eyes just glaze over because, like, it just seems like such a ticky tack thing. <laughs> oh, we're not good enough for you, Scott. Talking no, about holds, I'm, is it I'm good enough for I'm you. I'm just saying we could we could you sit here better and theorize me? what kind of impact this has. Um, but I don't think it's really going to change the way you approach things. I mean. Hold seems like a category where you're kind of just you're you're kind of just having to chase it throughout the year. Okay, who's who's getting holds now? This guy. Okay, I'll plug him in and hopefully get some holds that way. Just, I, I just draft good relievers. Yeah. Just next up, next email is from Todd from a town in New Jersey. Uh, Mawa. Okay. Hey, Rob, Antonio, and Steve. The leaders. Dan Darris is. The. <laughs> The, the top saves leaders in Marlins history. Oh, Rob Nan, Antonio Alfonseca, and oof, God, Steve Ciszek. Ciszek. Come on now. I'm in a holds plus saves. I'm assuming Ciszek. <laughs> I'm in a holds plus saves league. Are there any closers who might get traded at the deadline? Oh, sure. Who's a closer for them. a bad team? Keone Kella. Keone Kella is the first one that came to mind for me. Yeah. Um, Joe Jimenez, Ian Kennedy. Alex Colome. Oh, no, that's going to uh, be awesome. Sorry. Oh, yeah, my think, God. The White Sox closer. Who am I thinking yeah, of? Yeah, Alex Colome is the White Sox closer. Okay, but, yeah. There you go. But I, but I think they'll be good. So yeah. uh, I think they might be like a 79-win team. Okay. Rice Iglesias. I don't know if he'll get traded. Uh, Jose LeClerc. Yeah, closers on bad teams, but Keone Kella is like the one that immediately comes to mind. Ken Giles, maybe. Ken Giles. Maybe. Yeah, oh. there were some rumors last the approach of last trade deadline. Yeah, he got hurt right before the deadline. That's why that that's something we didn't talk about in the relief pitcher preview is Ken Giles was dealing on and off with uh, an elbow strain for a good chunk of the season last year. Next email is from Caleb in Louisville. Hey, Corky, Tobin, Tob, Tobin C, excuse me, and Hannigan. Those are Reds catchers. Yeah, I Corky did, Miller, did Eddie Tobin C, and. Uh, I forget who Hannigan is. I think he's the most recent one too. 
Well, in honor of Valentine's Day, we love you, Miss Hannigan. <laughs> I well, thought it was uh, Chris Catan <laughs> characters. <laughs> Twelve team head-to-head categories, two catcher league. What Ryan is, Hannigan. What is your two Corky Romano catcher league? Shut up. Two catcher league strategy. <laughs> I like a top five catcher for number one. And for my number two spot, I normally wait until the end of the draft and get the catcher with the best batting average and most consistent playing time so they won't hurt me. We didn't talk about that, I think, Scott. What, what's a good strategy for two catchers? I, I generally, my first catcher is the same way I would approach a first catcher in a one-catcher league. And then my second catcher is the best of what's left and like uh, as late as I can get them. I, I don't really, I don't really want to invest heavily in a second catcher. And in fact, a lot of times in two catcher leagues, I don't invest heavily in either catcher. Totally. Um, yep. Especially if it's an auction, like I need those dollars elsewhere. Oh man. I've noticed that in our auction two catcher league, you do not need good catchers to win. Uh, but you said there were like 14 guys that you, kind of felt were like possible top 12s 15 actually 15 i was leaving out yadier molina so, so 15 do you want two of your top 15 because you don't have to pay a lot no. to get mejia or molina uh i mean in an ideal world yes but i i find when i'm making out my budget going into an auction i may start out with money allocated for that and then i'll add the numbers up and it comes to like 320 and I start have to, having to whittle things down. That's just an easy cut to make is just whatever. $2 catcher, maybe I'll get lucky. I'm so bummed. We have some awesome emails that we're not going to be able to read today. We'll read them at a later date. Like this guy thinks we should change punting a category to bunting a category and he makes a really good point. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I'd like to read that at some point. But anyway, we also didn't talk about two of your really interesting things that I really wanted to talk about. So thanks for that, Adam. Yeah, Nick Castellanos and AL West pitchers. Yep. Yeah. We had a great show planned today, but uh, I do apologize for the abbreviated version. Instead, you got this crappy one. Have a good yeah, right? <laughs> we also had somebody asking Happy for Valentine's the for the Day. Michael Cade impression, so that didn't happen either. Uh, all these things could happen next week, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great weekend. We'll come back with a first base preview on Monday. Until then, happy Valentine's Day. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.